Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. In times of crisis, humans tend to look for someone or something to blame. Today, where we live, we talk about an issue bubbling up under all the attention communities and governments have given to fighting the coronavirus. There are cases of Asian Americans and people of Asian descent across the globe who've been singled out, harassed, shunned, even attacked during the pandemic because this particular coronavirus began reportedly in a Chinese market. Coming up, State Attorney General William Tong joins us. He's Chinese-American, and he says leaders in our country must fight two battles, one against COVID-19 and another against hate. We'll also hear from a sociologist about the history of bias against Asian immigrants in the U.S. And we want to hear from you, too. Are you of Asian descent? Have you faced discrimination during this pandemic? You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to welcome our first guest to the show. Mike Keough is a West Hartford resident and a photographer. Mike, welcome to Where We Live. Hi, Lucy. Thank you for having me on. Uh, We invited you on because you have been taking photographs of Asian American residents in Connecticut. And we're going to hear more about uh, why you started doing that. But I wanted to talk with you first, personally, uh, because our show is focused on anti-Asian racism. What have you experienced during this time? You know, um, my my sister-in-law back in February was called COVID while she was at the grocery store. And um, with everything that's happening, my family has to take extra precaution where, you know, I, I asked my wife to stay home from the grocery store, you know, so I go out and um, do all the shopping just in case. Um, you know, I've asked my parents to not go out as much just so they wouldn't be harmed. Mm. So tell me about your family background, Mike. Uh, we are Cambodian-American. We, I was born here. Um, my parents came to West Hartford, and uh, my whole family has been in West Hartford since the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and um, we've just been a part of the community since. Mm-hmm. And when you heard about your sister-in-law being called COVID at a, at a store, how did she react? And when you heard that, what was your response? Um, you know, she texted the family group chat. My sister-in-law is from Rhode Island, actually. So um, she texted. And, um, you know, I, I think it's something she lives with. It's something that bothers her. Um, you know, she did cry about it. It was um, it was upsetting. And she was just happy that her daughter wasn't there. So she wouldn't have to explain it to her. Mm. And so I mentioned that you're a photographer. So tell me about um, how this particular experience, so the fear uh, and concern that your family members have going out in public, how you uh, turn that into a campaign to raise awareness. So um, before Governor Lamont um, issued the shelter in place in early March, I, I brought in my family, um, I brought in friends to have their portraits taken in my studio. Um, I wanted to showcase that Asian Americans were a part of the community that we were neighbors, first responders, teachers, grocery workers, 
that we were deeply rooted into the fabric of America. Um, you know, I wanted to make a statement that attack against an Asian American was an attack against some, your own neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the response was pretty was really well, and um, I got to hear so many stories throughout Connecticut that were just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Like what, Mike? Um, you know, we had a um, there's an ENT, a firefighter that was wearing her T-shirt, and she was out grocery shopping in Middletown, Connecticut. And a gentleman followed her and verbally assaulted her for 20 minutes, yelling at her for carrying the virus, for bringing it over. And um, she happens to be a Korean adoptee. And he he followed her for 20 minutes, just yelling at her. And no one stepped in. You know, people did look. And um, so she was wearing her firefighter shirt. She didn't want to bring back any negative attention to her company, you know, or have her... Um, her firefighters um, be reflected in a poor light, so she just mm. continued shopping. And um, there was another incident. There's been incidents in West Hartford and Bloomfield and on Windsor at the pharmacy. Um, another one that really sticks out to me was a young Vietnamese-American woman who went to a local printing station um, where she normally gets stuff printed for her family's restaurant and the shopkeeper, and this is early March before um, any of these um, cautions were put in place, the shopkeeper refused to open the door for her. So she stands there and she thinks maybe um, there's a new policy. And so she waits patiently and she's actually calling the phone. And another gentleman comes in and he's not of Asian descent. And the shopkeeper comes and opens the door. So she goes, she goes, maybe it's this me. Maybe he called in ahead. And afterwards, um, you know, her boyfriend comes and her boyfriend is white and um, the shopkeeper comes in and opens the door for him. And that's when it dawns on her that she's being discriminated. Mm. You know, um, and you have all these microaggressions that we've been hearing about where people sanitize their hands because they see an Asian American that's walking near them or they'll walk by and say, I'm not trying to catch the virus. Mm. You're hearing Mike Keogh, who's a photographer, a West Hartford resident, uh, who is talking about, again, anti-Asian racism uh, that uh, people are experiencing uh, across the globe and here in Connecticut. If this experience or experiences you've heard uh, ring true for you, we want to hear from you. 888-720-WMPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So you've been taking these photographs that you're using the hashtag I am not a virus. I believe it's started originally in France, uh, uh, French residents of Asian heritage, um, also using this hashtag. And so where can people go to, to see these photographs? And what has been the response, Mike? Um, the response has been amazing. We are at www.iamnotavirus.info. Um, we have a lot of our stuff is on Instagram. And um, the response has been fantastic. We've, um, we've found a lot of support outside the Asian Spora. So, um, you know, we have a bunch of new partners that are helping us bring stories from the Asian American community into the community or into the school system, into businesses. And it's just been this overwhelming support. Um, you know, we, we ask people to provide an I am statement. An I am statement allows them to explain who they are and, um, you know, what they love about themselves. And I think that's been something that's really, really caught on. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, before we let you go, Mike, I understand your photo project has also partnered with Yukon's Asian American Studies program on a number of initiatives. Can you tell us what's coming up? Um, yeah, so Yukon alumni and um, Yukon Social Work has been such a huge supporter of our campaign. And Yukon uh, alumni is having a panel discussion next week on Thursday, May 28th at 6 o'clock. You can register online. And, um, you know, it's it's open to the entire, to everyone. Mm. Well, I want to thank Mike Keogh for joining us again, photographer from West Hartford. Uh, we'll put out a link uh, to that website uh, to see his photographs with the hashtag I am not a virus. Uh, Mike Keogh, thank you for joining Where We Live. Thank you, Lucy. Again, you can join our conversation to 888-720-WMPR. That's 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to bring into the show now Grace Cow, chair and IBM professor of sociology at Yale University. She's joining via Zoom. Grace, are you with us? Yes, I am. Uh, first, I wanted to ask you your reaction to hearing uh, Mike's story, um, the story of what happened to his sister-in-law, but also the anecdotes from other Asian Americans living here in our state. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, I think there's been lots of news stories, um, both anecdotal and also mentioned um, in um, in the media. I, I know that it's been great that lots of um, journalists have been covering this particular issue. Um, Asian Americans have historically been seen as just something that is foreign, um, that it's impossible for Asian Americans to ever be seen as purely American. So I guess I'm not surprised um, by what happened to Mike's family, unfortunately. Um, I think everyone who's Asian American, I myself am Chinese American um, and lived my whole life in the US, but all of us have had incidents, you know, even before this where our Americanness is questioned. Um, we're all asked, where are you from? And then if we say, I'm from San Francisco, which is where I'm from, you know, you get the, oh, no, 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 where are you really from? Um, you know, where did you learn to speak English so well? I bet every Asian American has had that sentence, um, that question posed to, to him or her or them. Um, and all of these things remind us that, you know, we're not quite American. We don't really belong here. Um, and so the, the COVID-19 pandemic has sort of brought out um, an ugly version uh, of that, that people um, view Asian Americans as foreign. Mm -hmm. um, and it is hard. I think his examples where, you know, you can't tell if you're being treated differently because you're Asian American or just because maybe, um, you know, people are, are uh, treating you differently because of some other reason until you see an example of someone else. I mean, he had talked about his family member, someone walked um, up to that line and was treated um, differently. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess none of it really surprises me, unfortunately. And I know a lot of us who are Asian American, um, uh, many of us are a little bit grateful for having to stay at home, honestly, because we don't wanna um, have to face all those um, possible incidents mm -hmm. um, where people, you know, the, the most minor things might just the, be the ugly look. And of course, um, the most major things might be, you know, where the family in Texas was stabbed because um, they were Asian American and they were yelled at because the, the person was scared of um, mm -hmm. catching um, COVID-19. Grace, you mentioned that event in Texas and our listeners may be aware of it, but can you describe what happened? 
Yeah, um, so this was, I believe, at a BJ's parking lot, and I think it was in Midland, Texas, and it was a family, I believe it was a father, a two-year-old, and a six-year-old, and they were stabbed by um, a gentleman who um, then yelled at them for uh, uh, bringing uh, coronavirus to the U.S. or that they were carrying it, so there was a definite uh, mention to, to COVID-19. Um, so, you know, of course, that is far more egregious than, you know, being yelled at um, for certain. But, but I think, you know, even the minor, the more minor incidents, um, the negative bias incidents, it really can have a profound um, psychological effect on you um, where, you know, it can make you shake, it can make you um, distressed. Um, you know, uh, I think people going home to cry about it, of course, those are all reasonable um, responses to mm. such incidents. Well, the, the When you mention the minor incidents that happen and pile up, but when we hear the term microaggression, that's what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, the microaggressions um, might just little things of, you know, where did you learn to speak English so well? Um, little jokes about China or Asia, um, where, you know, there isn't a physical um, scar that's left behind. You know, it's not as if um, I know a Chinese American woman in Brooklyn had acid poured on her. So mm. it's not like that, of course, but it, it's a constant reminder that you don't really belong. Um, so, you know, when, when President Trump singled out the, the uh, reporter for um, having, you know, when she asked about um, the U.S. response to COVID-19 and then he told her he, she should ask China. <laughs> so that that's a, a really mm. clear example of, um, being attacked for your own national origin, race, and ethnicity. And I have to say that it doesn't really matter if you're Chinese or Chinese-American, just the fact that you look vaguely kind of Asian, that, you know, you are um, a possible victim of, of this kind of treatment. Mm -hmm. talk, talk more about that, because it, it's easy in this country to lump all Asians together. But it's, uh, again, people from many different countries and cultures. And there is, again, this habit of, of othering. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, again, we have a history of it where it's so interesting because immigrants come to this country and they come to this country with um, certain ethnic identity and national origins and so forth. So, you know, you might show up and you think, hey, I'm Korean or I'm Filipino or I'm Japanese American. But actually what happens when you arrive in the U.S. is this process where it, one is racialized. So we're suddenly lumped with all of these other folks. And as a sociologist, I think we really believe that the way um, uh, one is viewed, the way people view us has a profound um, impact on how one identifies over time. So a lot of people, when they first arrive, they might say, hey, I'm Cambodian American or hey, I'm Vietnamese American. But the longer you live in this country and the more you understand the history of how Asian Americans and other racial groups have been treated, you realize that it's really, um, it's really about race in terms of how others treat you. And I think that's why a sort of a pan-ethnic Asian American identity can develop um, because you realize that even if your family or yourself that you think of yourself as mostly Korean American or, or Chinese American and so forth, that really people view you as just an Asian American or sometimes, you know, a version of, of a Chinese American, right? So um, I know lots of 
uh, non-Chinese Americans have been asked, you know, what kind of, is Korea part of China or, you know, what kind of Chinese are you? So, um, yeah, the, the lumping happens, but I think we have to um, realize that that happens. And instead of just saying, hey, I'm not really Chinese American, I'm this, that we have to recognize um, that being Asian American is a real thing and it, it mm-hmm. affects our lives. Before we head to break, uh, Grace, again, uh, some people will hear the president and others call this particular coronavirus a Chinese virus. And they'll say, well, what's the big deal? This virus, this particular coronavirus did originate in China. Uh, But you used an example about, uh, again, there were many carriers uh, uh, from Europe that came into this country that caused the epicenter of this this, uh, disease in New York City. And we don't call Italian-Americans potential disease carriers. Right. I mean, I think, you know, um, when this started, there were lots of photos that accompanied um, reports of the first incidents of COVID-19 in the U.S. And all the photos that I had seen (laughs) were of um, people that looked Chinese um, or Chinese-American. I think a lot of the photos weren't even from the U.S. wearing masks. And so... um, everyone associates this particular virus with China and there's already a sentiment against China in this country. And then for many of us who look like we're from China, I think it's, you know, the fact that we are not American, we're not seen as American, that we become the embodiment of this enemy, right? And so um, for all of us who carry these faces, um, we're, we're, we become targets. Hmm. So. Um, yeah, in a way that I think Italian Americans or people, French American, my husband is a white guy from Canada. He's never, um, his Americanness is never questioned, mm. even though he himself is an immigrant and, you know, I sponsored him, but my Americanness is always questioned. Yeah. You're hearing Grace Cow, chair of the sociology department at Yale University, as we talk again about anti-Asian racism uh, in this pandemic. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We also want to hear from you, 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Coming up, William Tong, Connecticut's attorney general, joins us. Are you or a member of your family of Asian descent? Have you experienced harassment or discrimination during the pandemic? Again, you can call in 888-720-9677. We'll be back after a short break. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Incidents against Asian Americans have risen since the pandemic began. The Asian Pacific Policy and Planning Council, based in L.A., started tracking cases of discrimination. In just six weeks, the group received more than 1,700 complaints from across the country. And nine out of 10 respondents said they were targeted at public parks, public streets, and on transit because of their race. Are you or a family member of Asian descent? Has this happened to you in Connecticut? You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. My guest on Zoom is Grace Cow, chair of the sociology department at Yale University. And joining us now also on Zoom is William Tong, attorney general for the state of Connecticut. Uh, Attorney General Tong, welcome back. Attorney General Tong, can you hear me? Can you hear me? 
Yes, I can hear you now. Uh, Welcome. <laughs> um, hey, Lucy. Hope you and your family are, are safe and healthy. We're doing okay. Hope, hopefully, uh, you as well, Attorney General Tong. Uh, you know, I, the FBI warned uh, back in March that hate crimes against Asian Americans would likely surge in the pandemic. I just read some stats from this uh, group out of uh, California. Uh, you represent the citizens of Connecticut as our Attorney General, but we're also talking about something that's personal for you. Uh, you're the first and only Chinese American attorney general in our state. Talk about what you have experienced, what you felt and heard during this pandemic. So um, thank you, Lucy. And and let me just say that one of the very first meetings I attended as attorney general in the beginning of 2019 was a briefing by the deputy director of the FBI. And he um, noted that hate generally um, is of the FBI's greatest public safety and law enforcement concern, and that there's been a surge in hate broadly in this country, not just against Asian Pacific Americans, which is why when I was in the legislature um, in 2017, we strengthened our state's hate crimes laws. So it's something that we're seeing across the country, not just with respect to Asian Pacific Americans, um, but it's happening, you know, not just to uh, Wei Jiajiang, the CBS News correspondent who was attacked by the president just a couple of weeks ago when he suggested that she should ask her question to China. Um, but also we're seeing uh, in my home city of Stanford, um, a Chinese-American woman who's been in this country for decades um, was checking out at a grocery store and um, the, the grocery store clerk asked her, uh, when was the last time you went to China? are you from China? And as she was trying to answer the questions politely, uh, the clerk grabbed a, a spray bottle of disinfectant and sprayed her and her groceries. So it's happening everywhere. So when that kind of incident happens, Attorney General Tong, I'm just curious, like, what are the consequences of that beyond just how that made that woman feel? But is that something where the police can get involved and, you know, there is cause for action there? You know, that's a very difficult question. And of course, if people um, feel harassed or intimidated, um, definitely if they're assaulted or, um, you know, physically harmed in any way, they should call the police. Um, but if they're, you know, feeling like they're the subject of discrimination um, or bias um, or harassment, you know, there are a number of resources they can report to my office. They can report um, to uh, the Commission on Human Rights and Opportunities here in Connecticut. They can report to the Commission on Equity and Opportunity here in Connecticut. Um, you noted the Asian Pacific American Planning Council. They're tracking this information, Asian Americans Advancing Justice. There are a number of organizations. If you just go onto the Google machine, um, you can look up the organizations that take this information and can uh, forward you or refer you to resources that might be able to help. Mm. You also referred us to the Connecticut General Assembly's Commission on Women, Families, Seniors, Equity, and Opportunity. Right. We heard we heard back from Alan Tan, who's a co-chairperson for this commission. I just wanted to read a little bit about what he shared about um, the number of uh, complaints that they have received from, again, Asian Americans living in our state. Uh, he writes, verbal harassment, numerous reports and stories related to Asian Pacific Americans. 
Americans, uh, people making accusations against them in parking lots, supermarkets, yeah. pharmacies. There have been refusals for service. Reports of healthcare workers who've been either told, I do not want to be cared by someone that looks like them. Uh, reports of unease where you have Asian and Pacific Americans feeling like they need to stay home out of fear. Also, restaurants in Connecticut uh, that may be uh, Asian restaurants where they're getting calls and they're being threatened. This is happening in our state, Attorney General Tong. And frankly, we're not hearing about it from our elected officials. You may be talking about it, but since the time that you and uh, Governor Lamont uh, went to uh, an Asian restaurant in West Hartford to reiterate that people should not be frightened by uh, before the the shutdown happened, uh, to not uh, conflate hostility uh, or fear about the virus against uh, people of Asian descent. But otherwise, we're not hearing about it. Yeah, and that, I think, raises a a much broader issue. Um, You know, being Asian Pacific American in this country, as you noted in the previous segment, and as Professor Cow noted, means being the other. Um, You're always in this condition of either being invisible, because I think Asian Pacific Americans are largely invisible in the national discussion about race and ethnicity and equity and inclusion, um, we're just not part of that discussion in in the same way that other communities of color are part of that discussion. Um, but it's also a lack of political empowerment. And that's why it was so important for me um, to encourage the governor to go have Chinese food with me at the start of this uh, public health emergency at Shu Restaurant in West Hartford. I knew that Chinese restaurants and Asian-owned businesses were suffering greatly. At that time, they were off by at least 30%. That Asian, even um, Asian customers were not going to uh, those stores out of fear. And so we thought it was really important. And I think the governor um, made a very strong statement by sitting down and breaking bread with a group of Asian Pacific American business people to show that this virus doesn't discriminate, that it's not a... Chinese virus, that it doesn't only affect or come from one group or one type of people or one racial or ethnic background. Um, but it's it's because of a lack of um, political empowerment, a lack of um, critical mass of, frankly, Asian elected officials and, and public figures that gives people like President Trump license to attack a CBS News correspondent um, and get away with it because yeah. who's going to stand up for her? We actually have that clip that we want to play again. Yeah. You're hearing Attorney General William Tong here on Where We Live. Uh, here's a clip of this incident. Also, our previous guest, uh, Grace Cow, um, had also uh, mentioned this was uh, President Trump's interaction with CBS White House correspondent. You said many times that the U.S. is doing far better than any other country when it comes to testing. Yes. Why does that matter? Why is this a global competition to you if everyday Americans are still losing their lives and we're still seeing more cases every day? Well, they're losing their lives everywhere in the world. And maybe that's a question you should ask China. Don't ask me. Ask China that question, okay? When you ask them that question, you may get a very unusual answer. Yes, behind you, please. Sir, why are you saying that to me specifically? I'm telling you, I'm not saying it specifically to anybody. I'm saying it to anybody who would ask a nasty question like that. That's not a nasty question. Please go ahead. 
Uh, Attorney General Tong, uh, you tweeted about that particular uh, exchange. Uh, Tell me what your response was. Well, first, I was so angry to see him attack her and to make the point that hate and racism um, isn't going to solve this crisis, isn't going to get more PPE to first responders and healthcare workers, and it's definitely not going to make us safer and healthier. Um, But I was also, frankly, um, very proud of Weijia for standing up to him and for standing up not just for herself, but for all of us. And and the reason why it's important, you asked this question earlier, um, you know, what's the big deal if somebody um, says something um, off color? What's the big deal if the president as you know, asks her to ask China, what's the big deal about microaggressions? Mm-hmm. And the big deal is that it makes people unsafe. Um, it's a public safety issue. It's a law enforcement issue. It results in people getting harassed, uh, assaulted, beaten, um, intimidated. But in, in extreme cases, they also get stabbed. And in the case of um, the Indian workers at uh, at Garmin in Olathe, Kansas in 2018, shot and killed in the case of Vincent Chin in Detroit, Michigan, beaten to death with a baseball bat. Um, in the case of um, a gas station owner in San Diego after 9-11 who was Sikh American, um, but mistaken for somebody who uh, others thought was Muslim American, they shot him to death. And so what happens when you foment hate and give people license to hate and act out on their hate, people get hurt and people die. Mm. Grace Cow is also with us on Zoom, chair and IBM professor of sociology at Yale University. Grace, talk more about the role of rhetoric from the White House on down. Yeah, so I mean, rhetoric is really important, and I appreciate what um, Attorney General Tong talked about. Um, but I do think this is so much older than um, COVID 19. Um, these incidents sort of bring out the worst in all of us, but, you know, these were underlying sentiments that just have been around um, since um, the Chinese Americans first came to this country. So it is so much older and I think it'll be a really hard thing to to battle. Um, And I think it will take more than people speaking up, although I really do appreciate people that push back um, as Ms. Jung did. Um, uh, I I know personally we've had to do this um, on our own. even I had Facebook friends or people on Twitter who would make jokes about bats and so forth. And I really did call them out on it because um, even though they thought it was a funny joke, um, I said this had real ramifications on those of us who um, look um, Asian American. So, you know, the examples that that um, Attorney General Tong talked about are many of them are well known. We teach them um, to our Um, in our courses on race and ethnicity and Asian American studies and so forth. And again, I just want to emphasize the racialization part of it. The fact that um, Vincent Chin, um, who was Chinese American, but um, the the auto workers who beat him to death um, were angry about the import of Japanese cars. So, um, you know, these these incidents of hate crimes um, sometimes help to mobilize um, the Asian American community and also other communities of color, mm-hmm. to be sure. Grace, you mentioned again uh, that these feelings uh, and this xenophobia, uh, a long-standing, long before uh, COVID, uh, we're talking back in the 1800s, uh, yeah. racism against Asians enshrined into U.S. law. 
That's right. So, um, you know, the first um, acts that were that identified people based on national origin and restricted their entry to this country um, was targeted against Chinese Americans. From there, we moved to Japanese Americans, and then we moved to basically the entire region that we think of as Asia today. So, um, you know, these were the first, first people that we blocked um, from entry to this country. Um, from there, we moved on to other groups that, that the U.S didn't seem to like. And it wasn't until 1965 um, with Hart Seller where we basically said as a country, we're not gonna discriminate against um, potential immigrants based on national origin. Mm -hmm. So this is also why that, you know, when you look at the Asian American population in the US today, the majority, the vast majority are people that came after 1965 or are descendants of those, of those folks. It's because um, people like us were not allowed entry to this country for a long time. You know, recently, there's a lot of attention on how uh, xenophobia and this forever foreigner uh, mentality really laid the groundwork for Japanese internment during World War II. But in the 1800s, how Chinese residents in San Francisco were even treated because of outbreaks of smallpox. Can you talk a little bit about that, Grace? Yeah, so uh, my understanding was that um, around the time of the great earthquake um, in San Francisco, 1906, that there was an outbreak of bubonic plague, I believe, and um, the Chinese were um, blamed for that. And, you know, I think a lot of us forget, um, we enjoy the ethnic neighborhoods, the Chinatowns um, and other kinds of neighborhoods, but these emerged because um, groups were segregated. We didn't want folks that seemed different from um, the average American to live with us. So, you know, we kept them in these segregated areas. Um, so again, there's a history of this where, you know, I think many immigrants are seen as not hygienic, dirty, um, have the potential of bringing disease. And certainly many groups were treated this way, but somehow this perception has stayed with Asian Americans, um, people of Asian descent for much longer. Mm. I wanted to go back to Attorney General William Tong. Uh, you wrote an op-ed in The Hill about the rise of xenophobia, especially during this pandemic. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, what you're hoping to to talk with in terms of residents or actions that you can take in the future? Uh, because this uh, public health crisis is not behind us. Yeah, I think it's, um, I wrote that with Carl Racine, who is, um, the son of Haitian immigrants and uh, the first elected attorney general of the District of Columbia. And, you know, for both of us, um, it's not just about awareness. Um, as I said before, it, it matters because it's a public safety issue. Um, it's a law enforcement issue. It's about people um, making sure that people and their families are safe and they don't live in fear. Um, but also to strengthen and, and a call to action to strengthen our resources, such as um, our civil rights laws and strengthening those civil rights laws. Um, I have a bill pending in the General Assembly here in Connecticut um, to start a civil rights division in the Office of the Attorney General. About half the states in this country have civil rights enforcement authority vested in the Attorney General. Um, we need that here in Connecticut. And, you know, we need to... Um, work more closely also with our federal partners and we need a stronger hand at the department of justice and the civil rights division there which has not been as active in recent years as it should be and 
Um, I hope that we're all taking this opportunity this year to encourage um, the Civil Rights Division and the Department of Justice to do more. Mm. You know, we started this show talking about uh, your roots, uh, Attorney General Tom. Yeah. You've been on before. You've been uh, very open about uh, how uh, your parents owned a Chinese restaurant. I'm wondering how you talk about this with your children, this moment that we're in, these incidents of hate, and how to respond. You know, I think with my kids, um, I, I try to empower them to stand up for themselves um, I showed them that clip of Wei Jiajiang. I didn't want to shield them from that. I have a 14-year-old, um, an 11-year-old, and an 8-year-old, and I wanted to see, I wanted them to see her standing up to the President of the United States. But I wanted them to understand that the President of the United States, in his words, um, command tremendous weight and authority, and for them to understand how damaging it is. But at the same time. Um, that an Asian American woman um, who's a journalist has every right to ask a question and has every right to stand up to the most powerful man in the world. And particularly my my two girls, my daughters, I wanted them to see that. And so, um, you know, these are these aren't just teaching moments. These are real life moments. And um, I want my kids to understand that um, it's never going to be easy for them, at least not for a long time. And and you asked me earlier, you know, it's about my personal experience. It's very mm-hmm. personal for me. I know, Lucy, it's very personal for you mm-hmm. and your experience. And, um, you know, even during the campaign, you know, I was running for attorney general and uh, I um, asked a delegate, a Democratic delegate for her support. And she acknowledged my record on issues that she cared about and um, said that she was really um, proud of the work that I had done and that she strongly supported the work that I was doing but she couldn't support me. And I asked her why. And she said, because you just don't look like what I think an Mm. attorney general should look like. Wow. And how did you respond? I was stunned. I was stunned. And I I frankly couldn't get off the phone quick enough. Mm. Uh, You mentioned my personal roots. My parents immigrated to this country in the 70s from India. And I was uh, laughing, Grace Cow, my other guest, uh, when people ask you where you're from, when people ask me where I'm from, I say, I'm a Pennsylvania girl. And they often will give me a look like, well, that's not exactly what I meant. But I'll just let them keep keep them guessing. <laughs> well, Lucy, as, as, as you know, but the listeners don't, you're from the same Western Pennsylvania town as my wife. So <laughs> uh, I know how, how Western Pennsylvania it is out there. Yep, that's right. Well, I want to thank uh, William Tong for joining us again. He's the state attorney general. And, you know, I don't want to end the the segment um, being uh, making fun because, again, there may be people who are still fearful. We are a state that's slowly reopening. People are going to be around others more than they have been over the last two months. If they experience harassment, what should they do? Attorney General Tong, are you there? Yes. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying, uh, if people are, I know, I, I, I kind of psyched you out there. I thought you thought you were done. <laughs> um, uh, I if, wasn't sure that was a question. <laughs> if people are fearful still, as we start to reopen the state, people are around others, uh, what should they do if they are harassed? Yeah, so um, obviously, if, if they're um, harassed, um, if they are intimidated, um, discriminated against, they should reach out to a number of resources 
um, in, including the Asia Pacific American Planning Council, Asian Americans Advancing Justice. Actually, there's a good summary of resources at the National Asian Pacific American Bar Association website, napaba.org. Um, but if you are attacked, physically threatened or harmed um, and, and somebody assaults you, you got to call the police. And I encourage um, people, don't be afraid to report uh, and don't hold back. Do call the Office of the Attorney General if you feel like you can't get through to anybody else. Um, if you feel like, you know, we're the safest place for you to go, we welcome your calls. Mm. William Tong, thank you so much for joining where thank we you. live today. Uh, with us on Zoom as well as Grace Cow, Chair of the Sociology Department at Yale University. She's going to stick around as we continue our conversation. Uh, coming up, we're going to speak with an associate curator of the Guggenheim in New York City. We're going to talk about how art can help cultivate empathy and understanding in this time where incidents of anti-Asian racism have grown. You can join us too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. My guest today on Zoom is Grace Cow, Chair and Professor of Sociology at Yale University. And joining us now also on Zoom is Xiaoyu Wen, Associate Curator at the Solomon Guggenheim Museum in New York City. Xiaoyu, welcome to our show. Hello, Lucy. Thank you for having me. Uh, You've written a series of posts for the Guggenheim Museum's blog about anti-Asian xenophobia during this pandemic. Uh, Talk about uh, that series and also what this time means for you personally. Um, I started the series on the Guggenheim blog also through a new online um, digest that the Guggenheim has been putting outside. Uh, to the world since now the museum is closed and we cannot really experience art in the physical space anymore. Um, And at this time, I think this call for action and also to raise people's awareness also came from my personal experience as um, these incidents that I have personally experienced at the beginning of this pandemic back in March um, in public space in Brooklyn, New York. Um, So at that moment, I realized um, it is really important to provide a platform for us all to reflect and work together and to reflect what does it mean to be in solidarity at mm. this particular time. Shall um, you, what happened? Blog, oh, sorry. What happened to you in Brooklyn? Yes. Um, I was waiting uh, for the train before the complete lockdown when the public transportation was still going on the platform. Uh, in my neighborhood, a station that I would go to work and commute, um, a stranger, uh, I think he looked, you know, strong and young, a tall man, um, dressed fairly fashionable. Um, he has the can in his hand. I also don't think it was for any particular health reasons. It looks more like a fashionable accessory. He approached me. I was wearing a mask at the time, um, just as a precaution while uh, it was not really, you know, probably aware mm-hmm. of the importance of, you know, covering your face and mouth yet, but I was wearing a mask. Um, and he approached me, started to curse me as, you know, he just said, you know, you're from China, da, da, da. And then he started to use that can pointing to my face. It was mm-hmm. at that moment, I feared for my life because I was already having this sort of 
um, consciousness in terms of reading all these news um, and stories of people getting hurt. Um, so at the, luckily, I have my partner standing right next to me. Um, he talked to the man um, and then he ran away off, you know, outside mm -hmm. of the station. Um, I have experienced microaggression since I came to study in this country back in 2007. Um, but I always felt like I, if I acknowledge and I respectfully communicate with people, there is a mutual ground and there is understanding that we could achieve. But this time, I think things are a little bit different. Mm. When we look back at uh, historical precedents, when we look back at xenophobia in this country, can you talk about what you have focused on in your blogs and, and how you look at art as a way to not only explain, but help people understand um, and be more empathetic? Mm -hmm. I think art and culture has the power to connect the dots in history and reflect on what is going on today. And it has this transform power that is very unique to um, experience and also to aesthetic. Um, when I first was thinking about this blog post, I recall that I actually did a fairly deep dive into the history of Chinese immigration um, and also the xenophobia back in back to the 19th century. Um, and I focused on this very sort of loaded uh, uh, place um, by the San Francisco Bay called Andrew Island, which was the detention center of the immigrants that entered this country from the Pacific region, and mm -hmm. particularly Chinese and Asians. Um, and as I dig into that part of the history, I realize um, there were a lot of visual materials and visual culture, popular imaginations were produced back then that act as a very, you know, pointed um, racism commentary, in particular, a San Francisco based weekly satire magazine called The Wasp. Um, they had many cover images and all, also illustrations um, mocking the Chinese, their headlines as, you know, many handed but soulless, or um, the Chinese must go. Um, so that discovery of these images were shocking um, to me, but at the same time, there was just so much to look into and to really figuring out what was going mm -hmm. on. And of course, these visual imageries were also connected later to the Chinese Exclusion Act, as well as the epidemic that broke um, in the 1900s. Mm -hmm. um, and I continue to sort of follow these veins. And then we landed in 2003, when SARS uh, pandemic broke out in Hong Kong and the Canton region and later also spread globally. And the time there were again, many, many these visual materials produced um, as another means to othering Asians and Chinese. Um, and there's always this constant habits of us to compare sort of the following to this contamination. Mm -hmm. Shayu, um, we only have a, a couple of minutes left, unfortunately, sure. but I know that you are working on projects to help engage the public on this topic of xenophobia. There's an Instagram project you're working on. Can you tell us about that quickly? Yes. So as I mentioned earlier, at the museum is closed. We're moving a lot of things online and digitally. And if people are interested and wanted to find more about how you know, you can talk about these and understand it through art and through the engagement of art. Um, there are many materials on the Guggenheim's website you can go into. And also I'm talking with an artist, Tao Fei, 
um, Friday, yeah, tomorrow at 11 o'clock mm -hmm. through Instagram Live of Guggenheim Instagram Live um, and responding of some of the issues, but also her work, how she connects with different communities and looking at these issues in solidarity. Mm -hmm. So I hope you can find us then. Well, we'll be sure to share that on our social media uh, at Where We Live and also on our Facebook, hopefully, of, to let people know how to, uh, again, uh, see that Instagram live conversation Friday at 11 via Guggenheim's Instagram account. I want to thank uh, Xiaoyu Wen for joining us, Associate Curator at the Solomon Guggenheim Museum in New York City. We really appreciate your time, Xiaoyu. Thank you. Also with us today was Grace Cow, Chair and IBM Professor of Sociology at Yale University. Grace, thank you for giving us perspective on the historical precedent of the time we're in now and, and how we can uh, do better in the future. Thank you so much. Uh, today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>